It's award season here in Hollywood, and I have a confession to make. I'm in hell. Now, let me explain. As a film TV fan, you'd think I'd be obsessed with the award season, and I am to see all the talent on display. But the cynical comic in me is like, y'all are fake. (laughs) It's such a dance of excitement and outrage. You know what I mean? For example, I love seeing Oppenheimer and Barbie and the holdovers win a ton of award because they're, they're great films. They deserve all the awards. What I can't stand and even just I just can't stomach is the fakeness of the campaigns. A great example of this is there's this constant bit of news being pushed around right now that Bradley Cooper studied conducting for like six long years in order to come off perfectly in one scene, just one tiny little scene in Maestro. Now, this podcast is a visual medium. However, I feel like you can probably feel and maybe sense my very intense eye roll that's happening about that bit of news about Bradley Cooper. You see, when I read or hear news like that, and whenever you hear it too, it's all a part of a big strategic campaign to get voters of these awards to go, oh wow, Bradley Cooper, he suffered for his art. I'm voting for him. And listen, I work in media. I know journalists hear this bit of news and this campaign fuckery that goes around and they get off on it like a cat rolling around in catnip. Which is why I don't really call myself a journalist. I'm more of like a professional fan. Thank you very much. I need to be able to say that in order to cover so I can make fun of things like Bradley Cooper. And the off chance that Bradley Cooper ever does want to talk to me someday, which I know Bradley Cooper doesn't want to talk to me because I've asked a lot. But it's things like that that just kind of just annoy me because they're just not real. You know what I mean? I would say right now an example of someone being real on a campaign circuit, if you will, is... Divine Joy Randolph, who is winning all the awards for the holdovers for Best Supporting Actress. She's just being legit herself, which I kind of love. Also, Cillian Murphy, Oppenheimer, he got booed at the Golden Globes when after he won for Best Actor, he went backstage to take photos with everyone. And the he, he just sort of took the photo and then walked away. And the reporters actually booed him for not standing around and talking to them, which, frankly... The fact that he wanted to walk away made me like him even more. And the reporters booing? That's just tacky. You guys are worse than Bradley Cooper begging for an Oscar. Anyway, now, after the Golden Globes, I have to admit, I didn't leave the show particularly excited about the awards season to come. I just felt like it's all kind of predictable and stale. And then came the Screen Actors Guild Award nominations, which legit dropped an Oppenheimer-level bomb on the awards season, making me excited. It did. It added a little bit of drama to the season. You know what I mean? And the reason why we award trackers put so much stock into the guild nominations like SAG or Directors Guild or Writers Guild is that unlike with the Golden Globes or the Critics Awards, which are voted on by journalists who booed Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, very weird. These guild awards are voted on by members of the creative community, the same process that the Academy Awards uses, which means that the artists nominating other artists, that's what how it works. So the SAG Awards are the best indicator of who will likely be nominated and win come Oscar night. So here are some of the surprises that came out of the Screen Actors Guild Awards. May, December was completely snubbed, like completely snubbed, which... It's been losing steam in the film category for a little bit, but like Charles Melton has been dominating the Best Supporting Actor awards. He's been winning a ton and Julianne Moore has been making it into quite a few Best Supporting Actress, you know, awards over the over the season. So it was a big surprise to not see either of them included in the supporting categories. The people who took their places, Penelope Cruz, she was nominated for Ferrari, which 
has been getting a lot of talk and I would love to see Penelope Cruz get an Oscar nomination. But I also want to see Julianne Moore get an Oscar nomination because she was really good in May, December. She had this little baby voice that she would talk about hot dogs and it just I was obsessed with it. And uh, the person who took Charles Melton's place, who would have been Charles Melton's place, is Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, which I loved. And I'm surprised that he made it in there, but I'm really glad that he did. I also, after the Golden Globes, was a little worried about Barbie's chances in the acting categories. You see, Barbie didn't really do very well at the Golden Globes. So I was worried that maybe Margot Robbie and Ryan, well, Margot Robbie, I was more worried about Margot Robbie because she deserves an Oscar nomination. I mean, she is Barbie and Ryan Gosling for Best Supporting Actor. However, the SAG Awards came through and they nominated both of them, which means they're probably going to get an Oscar nomination at the Golden Globes as well. Poor Things did better. I mean, Poor Things kind of dominated over Barbie in the comedy musical categories. It really sort of cemented its place in the Oscar season. However, as Screen Actors Guild, it didn't pick up a Best Cast nomination, which was surprising. That went to The Color Purple, which has been losing steam. So I love that The Color Purple was able to get in there because The Color Purple is incredible. And Daniel Brooks got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress for The Color Purple. She was the only acting nominee from the film at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. So that was very exciting. Also exciting at the Screen Actors Guild was Annette Bening and Jodie Foster making it into the mix. Annette Bening was nominated for Best Actress for Nyad, and Jodie Foster was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Nyad. I think that's incredible. These are Hollywood icons, and it's just really exciting to see them in the mix because the film was great. Their performances, though, were like incredible. The last surprise that came out of the Screen Actors Guild was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio not being nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon, the Martin Scorsese film. It was nominated in every other category for Best Cast and Best Actress, Lily Gladstone, who likely is going to win the Oscar for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro. But Leonardo didn't make it in there, which I'm okay with. He's won a ton of awards, but you know who probably took his place, which I'm super excited about? Coleman Domingo for Rustin. Oh my God. Watch Rustin on Netflix. It's about Bayard Rustin, and it is... He's a... He's a civil rights icon. He's a queer rights icon. The film is incredible. Coleman deserves to be nominated this year. That man deserves an Oscar nomination. And I really hope this means that he's going to get that Oscar nomination. So the Screen Actors Guild Awards will stream live on Netflix on February 24th. So definitely watch that. It will be an exciting show. And I'll be covering it, of course, because I do all those things. But before any of that, let's get to another aspect of the awards season This that's happening this weekend if you're listening on Friday, the very delayed Emmy Awards. Now, they were supposed to air back in September, but were delayed because of the SAG and WGA strike. And But they're ready to party this Sunday. Now, before you get too excited about the Emmy Awards, let me just offer a little bit of a spoiler alert. They're going to be boring. <laughs> and that's because the winners are super, super predictable this year. Like, there aren't going to be many surprises at this year's Emmys. It doesn't mean the shows are bad or anything. The shows are actually very good. It's just there's not much drama in the awards show, you know? So in the drama categories at the Emmy Awards this year, Succession is going to dominate everything. It ended its its run this past year, and everyone loved it and had huge ratings. And it's going to win every drama award it can. And we're talking about Best Drama Series, Best Actor for Kieran Culkin, Best Actress for Sarah Snook. Oh, my God, she was so good in Succession. Best Supporting Actor for Matthew McFadden, or Fadian, I can't say his name. The only non-Succession winner in the drama categories is going to go to Best Supporting Actress um, Jennifer Coolidge for The White Lotus. She was killed off in this season of The White Lotus. I mean, if you haven't watched Where Were You last year, and I'm still quoting, <laughs> I'm still quoting her line, 
the gays, they're kind to murder me. I mean, it's just, it's, it's actually iconic. In the comedy categories this year, things are a little less certain, but not by much. It's really a battle between the bear, Hulu's the bear, and Apple TV's uh, the Ted Lasso. But my money is on the bear to sweep most of the prizes because it's won everything else. And I think it's going to win Best Comedy Series, Best Actor for Jeremy Allen White, and Best Supporting Actress for A.O. Adebri. And in the Best Actress category, in the comedy categories, I think that one's a little bit more of a toss-up. Quentin Brunston from Abbott Elementary, who I've interviewed before, she's incredible, she could probably win. I feel like she's going to win, but it could also go to Christina Applegate for Dead to Me because people love Christina. She's She deserves the win. The show was great. It went off the air this year, and she's had a really struggle of a year with her health problems this past year. So I could see her picking it up. Also, I could see Rachel Brosnahan from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That show also ended this year, and that she's won a ton of Emmys for it, and people love the show, so I could see that happening too. For Best Supporting Actor, though, this one's going to be fun. I think it's going to be James Marsden for Jury Duty. That was sort of like a like a cult hit this year. And James Marsden being on it was just weird and silly and stupid. And so I think him winning would be, uh, I think a lot of people would really love to see that. In the other categories, Netflix Beef is likely to sweep the best limited series TV movie categories with wins for Ali Wong and Steven Yeun. I really hope that Niecy Nash wins for Best Supporting Actress for her performance in Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, because... Even though the film was about Jeffrey Dahmer, for me, the film was about Nisi Nash's performance. It was incredible. Uh, and I, I I think Claire Danes, if, if Nisi doesn't win, which makes me very sad, I think Claire Danes could sneak in there for Fleshman is in trouble. Um, but in the Best Supporting Actor category, that's definitely going to Paul Walter Hauser for Blackbird. I mean, he's won everything. He's going to win that one. However, the one category I'm watching closely is Best Competition Reality Series. You see... RuPaul's Drag Race has dominated this category for years now, but there's one new entry of a reality series that is notable, Survivor. You see, Survivor is legendary in the world of reality TV. You could even argue that it kind of created modern reality television, and it was one of the first nominees when this category was just even invented. However, it's been absent from the Emmys for 17 years, like an actual human being was born and is able to drive now over the period of time in which Survivor was not nominated for an Emmy, which is insane to me. So it could sneak in there and win. And you know what? It deserves to win. The two seasons of Survivor that aired this year, 44 and 45, ignited interest in the show like it never did before. I'll even go as far as saying that they brought new life to this long-running reality series. It started with 44 with that iconic trio of Jam Jam, Carolyn, and Carson. And then 45 came and continued Survivor's dominance on our hearts and our minds. I'll link the past episode I did with the winner of 45, D, and the winner of 44, Jam Jam, who joined me along with Carolyn and Carson. We talked about what life is like post-Survivor. That was a great chat. You definitely want to go listen to that. It's in the show notes for this episode. But today, I wanted to chat with another Survivor favorite from this year, Katora Tops. She was the quote queen of 45, the one I related to most, and not just because we're both from St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you very much, 314 forever. Uh, but she's also the one I started to root for before she made that decision that not only guaranteed Dee's win, but made sure that Katora was going to lose. And it was, it was just one of those moments on a show where you feel for somebody so hard that you just, it just becomes emotional, you know? 
We talked about that decision and how she reacted to the online attention and what it's like to be a black queer player of Survivor in a world that sometimes can treat those players from marginalized communities more harsh. I mean, let's be real. It's more than just harsh. The internet and social media in particular can be racist and sexist to those players. And I'm glad Katora is open and honest as she is about all of that and so much more. If Survivor wins this year at the Emmys, it will be because of players like Katora. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. So first things first, it's nice to meet you, finally. I love this. Oh, nice to meet you. And not be messaging you randomly. I know. I love it. I love it. Well, I have to say you held a very special place in my heart for many reasons, but you are a fellow St. Louisan, and I love yes. that. So as a fellow St. Louisan, I have to ask you the St. Louis question. Where yes. did you go to high school? <laughs> I didn't know it was coming. I went to Roosevelt. Oh, wow. Oh, that's wild. I was supposed to go to that's Roosevelt pretty. when I was a kid, but then we moved into the suburbs and I went to Kirkwood. Oh, well, you know, when I was, well, when I was in high school, I was about to say, when I was growing up, <laughs> we used to always say people that are in Kirkwood High are like the hoity-toities. Like, well, oh, you know. <laughs> I, I wish that was true of my family. We were the poor ones of the hoity-toities. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we were oh, definitely, no. we were definitely thinking everyone was hoity-toity, but we were blessed to be in a good school system, I guess. I don't know. It was. Yes. It, no, you were Like, I remember Kirkwood. It was like Kirkwood and somehow randomly the like McClure North. Yes. You know, McClure sounds like all of those. It was like, ooh, okay, look at you, fancy. (laughs) And Roosevelt was just like, we're just making it through. (laughs) Well, I mean, we would have been, if if my family would have stayed downtown, I would have been, you know, near you. So it would have been, we we maybe would have had a high school together, which is crazy to think about. Wouldn't that have been crazy? And then if we met down and just realized it, like, damn. Insane. But no, I hold Roosevelt really near and dear to my heart. It was very special. Oh, I love that. Well, this is fantastic. Congratulations on a fantastic season of Survivor. I kind of love that we're chatting now a couple of weeks after the whole thing kind of dies down, just because I, I'm always amazed to speak with people. And I'm friends with a bunch of people who have been on Survivor, and I'm in that world, and I'm, like, talking okay. to people. But, like, yeah. I'm always amazed at how people sort of, like, move on from Survivor. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's life like after the hoopla yeah. kind of dies down. And what has it been like for you since everything aired? Yeah. Oh, chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, well, it's really like I'm a slow processor. So, so much happened in survival. You know, like yeah. I was there 25 out of 26 days. Mm-hmm. 
And my journey was the most unexpected thing I could have ever met. Like, if you told me, let's make 20 different simulations of what your time in Survivor would be like, I probably would never land on what actually happened. (laughs) So for me, it was like the season finale happened. And, you know, it was in L.A. celebrating. It was a big deal. We're all excited. But it's also for me in particular, you know, my boot episode, like it's the episode I see myself lose and I see myself make decisions that I don't love. And so it was like, I want to be excited and like, whoa, we we fucking did it season 45. And then on another hand, you were also like, damn, like, look how close I, you know? So it's literally just like so many emotions. I honestly had to, I took the holiday break just to like breathe and process. I found myself saying multiple times, like, Okay, that happened. Yeah. Like, you know, like it all, every part of my survivor experience beyond like a few months of casting right before 2023, it's all 2023. Yeah. Like it's all of that happened in 2023. Like I filmed it, I lived it, I watched it air, I like got in touch with the survivor universe and know about them closely now, you know. And it's just so much to reflect on. So I think I just I, I'm processing. <laughs> yeah. And also just sort of, you know, one of the things that I I'm always sort of surprised by, because I, I watch sort of how people respond on social media and sort of the reactions. Uh, and yeah, it's and I do think that, like, you know, players from marginalized communities often get a harder sort of time on social media mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the world we live in right now, which yeah. is horrible. Yeah. and That needs to be fixed. But I wanted to know how. How was your reaction from fans and social media and how did you process sort of going from just being, you know, a normal former St. Louis and now living in New York City to <laughs> always a St. Louis and 314 forever, 314 forever. Same, same, same. Yeah. <laughs> Years later. Yes. Um, but how do you go from being just sort of like a normal person to getting sometimes good reactions, sometimes toxic reactions? Like, how do you process that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a clear way. The good news and the bad news is, you know, I've been marginalized my whole life, right? I'm always black and a woman and gay and poor. Like I, those things don't go away. And so I knew going into Survivor, just, just as my prep to play the game, that I'm going to be scrutinized a little more heavily and looked at a little bit more than others. And maybe something that I might do that another person might do is going to be viewed as negative or aggressive or, you know, a bad move or whatever. So I was kind of on guard for that in the game as my strategy to make sure I win. I had no idea how extreme it would be after the game, just Mm. from the general public. And so we have, you know, um, like a support system. There's a survivor psychiatrist and they tell you generally, you know, stay off social media. But boy, I did not know. (laughs) I I did not know. And, and the crazy thing is I've gotten so much. I've gotten so much love. I think also because I am a marginalized person, right? You, You want people like that who are kind of perpetually an underdog to win. And so I I got a lot of people showing me a ton of love and then I would get waves of hate and then it'd be love again and then hate and then love. And like, that's pretty much my survivor social media experience is like tons of people flooding me with either extreme love or extreme hate, nothing in between. Yeah. I mean, to me, you were, 
you were the you were the meme queen of the season. You were the quote queen. You were the one you narrated. You narrated so much of the season for me personally. And it was always just sort of and also particularly with sort of, you know, the beef you had with a fellow cast member, the person you didn't necessarily enjoy the entire time. And you were very vocal. I know. Who could you be talking about? But like you were very vocal about that. And in in the beginning, the edit was largely that because let's be real, it's a show and there's an edit. Yeah. But there was the yeah. edit was largely that, and then once that player was eliminated in kind of an epic way, your edit shifted and you became. I mean, to me, I was rooting from you from that moment on. I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Thank you. And how? What was the? What did you see that reaction and the switch in fans from? the beginning yeah. of the season until the end of the season. And what was that like for you? Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a huge switch. And um, it was, it was honestly more personal for me because before I kind of, you know, by the time Bruce leaves on day 19, right? Like we've gotten so much game that's already been played that at this point I'm kind of used to being the, we ain't couture, we love couture. We, you know, I've gotten used to all of that. And it's almost like in a light, superficial way where I'm like, they're going to love it if I say this and they're going to hate it when I do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, But after Bruce, I feel like people started to see me fully. And that was just so huge because the support I got felt more substantial. Mm. And it felt like people were saying, I'm supporting you, the person, and not just like this fictitious character who I have this idea of and like, okay, I didn't like that move or I like that you were petty here. Like, yeah. I understand Katora, you know, and I, I knew I knew that I was going into the show. I knew that before the show aired, I shared some really personal, private things about my backstory and my life. And like in a really deep you know, way, I've never shared those things before, not even a little bit. Um, and so I was terrified. Like now I'm like, OK, now I know y'all vocal when you hate me. So what's going to happen when they see me being really honest and vulnerable and doing something that's terrifying to me? And their response was just overwhelmingly positive. Um, and what I realized is so many people have stories that they can relate to my story. Um, and I didn't know that going in. So that was huge. That is huge. That is really huge. The other thing that I think I related to most through you through the season and for anyone not you know who hasn't watched the season or doesn't watch survivor anyone knows the feeling of being a third wheel on a date or on a thing and you were you were fully me around the annoying straight couple who is yes. maybe having a little too much pda if you know what i mean yes, like i know exactly you were you the mean. get a room queen and i i loved it so much because you vocalized both in your confessionals but also kind of in person around everybody oh absolutely yeah a hundred percent i mean by that time there's no need to withhold things. You know, yeah. I feel like that's the benefit and the curse of being in the position that I was is at a certain level, you're like, look, I have to just say it how it is. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like that I wasn't so like I'm a Survivor fan fan. Like I have watched every season besides one through three. I know that's terrible, <gasps> but you don't watch one I, through three? You have to watch one. Well, I watched one, but not like in my recent, like yes. as an adult. Like I watched it way, way back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
But I've, I've pretty much like there's no survivor reference that you can make that I wouldn't know or anything like that. Right. So I thought I was a big fan. And then going into the game, I realized there are way bigger fans than me in terms of people who can like recite, you know, well, this was the tribe name. This was their color buff. This was the like all those details. And so I think because I wasn't as intimately in that world in an extreme way, I kind of forgot about the edit. Like I wasn't thinking about make sure you have a good confessional or what are they going to say? Which makes and you was, a great player. And I think that made me more honest because I was just, here's Katura and I'm just trying to make it through and I'm getting hit with every fucking thing you can get hit with. Yeah. And I'm still just trying to breathe and make it through. And I think what I've seen from the people who give me support and my fans are, they appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I spoke with Jeff earlier in the season about well, at the beginning of the season and I joked with him. He was like, oh, anyone can play Survivor. Anyone, anyone would be good. At, like, anyone should apply for a Survivor. Like, if you have a story, do it, whatever. And I was like, Jeff, I, I'm, an, I'm an AC person. I'm indoors. I am not a Survivor. You don't want me applying for a Survivor. And he's like, you should do it. I'm like, no, Jeff. So I want to know before, I mean, yeah, you're a longtime fan of Survivor. But do you feel like you are the type of person in the life that you lead every day, the normal life, are you the type of person that, people would expect to go on to Survivor in your normal life before you were on Survivor? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a yes and a no. Okay. So the typical answer is no. I don't think most people who know me would think of me as going on Survivor because most people that know me know me as a very polished person, you know, an established attorney. Like when they see me, I'm like arguing about something or advocating against something. You know, I'm very polished, very like keep it together, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Um, but like, as you kind of saw on the show, like my life and my background is vastly different yeah. than what people know of me just off rip. You know, like you don't go through the kind of things I've been through. Uh, I shared even just a tiny bit on the show about my background and being in these cults and like, you know, being raised and, you know, pretty much almost a child bride at the age of 13. Like, yeah. You know, most people don't can't even imagine what that feels like. Most of your life growing up, you were pretty much an indentured servant. You know, like I I have the modern version of what it feels like to pretty much be a slave here just happening in America. Right. I know stress and survival on a different level. And so for me, when I started watching Survivor, I was like, oh, I literally have done this on a real magnitude, right? Like on a level that's so much greater of you're not going to get voted out if you don't figure out the right person to trust. Your whole life might be in slavery. You know, you're, you might be married to this 68 year old man who was my, you know, fiance at 13. Like these are real consequences of me. So I think people who know that part of my life aren't surprised at all that I did it because when I, first started watching it and I started putting the idea of like, maybe you should do this. It was like, there isn't a single skill that you have to exercise in Survivor that I don't exercise every single day anyway, that I haven't exercised in a real way. So I felt honestly going into it, I was like, I'm born for this. (laughs) Who else has the experience that I have of trying to let me look in your eyes and figure out the truth. Let me understand who I can trust and who I can't trust. You know, let me navigate and adapt to a different situation and put on whatever face you need for me to put on so I can get to the next level. And I was like, yeah, this is my jam, you know, which, which explains, I think in the end, and you, you referenced it a little bit earlier, 
that that decision sort of when you got booted that or you didn't get booted, but right before you got booted, the situation in which you were going to vote for somebody which who would have been the ultimate winner to, you yep. know, to, to get them yep. off the show and or off the game. And then you changed your vote because you didn't trust someone in the last minute and yes. which ultimately impacted your game, but also impacted the entire game for Everybody's who won. Game. It impacted yeah. everyone's game. Everything. How do you, because you were saying you're watching it in LA. It's a big flashy thing premiere. It's probably the, one of the best days of your life. You know, this is the finale. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you're also watching probably one of maybe the worst decisions of your life. Like you're, you're seeing, yeah. you're seeing yeah. both at the same time. How do yeah. you process that? Yeah. It, it took a long time of looking in myself. Like I, you're talking about the vote at final five. And when I d- didn't write down D's name <clears throat> and then D ultimately wins, of course. Yeah. Um, and, and watching myself call it at every stage and everything I called happened. Yeah. Right. When the moment I didn't write D's name and I wrote Julie's name and Julie got her torch snuffed, that moment, they don't show this, but I literally looked down and I said, I lost this game. Mm. I knew the second Julie got her torch snuffed, I lost the game. And there was like no circumstance that it could, you know, win. I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll win final four immunity challenge and I can like get D out with fire. But it was all still like a long shot, right? And and I'm torn between saying, because of how I've been raised, because of what I've gone through, because of my very extreme, you know, background with these cults and trying to survive and all of this, I have developed a super sharp sense of survival. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really do have a very sharp alarm system in my body and it's my gut and my body and my stomach. And we kind of all work together as one. And when there's danger, right, I'm attuned to it. Like even the slightest bit. And that's not just my background growing up. That's walking in the world looking like this, yeah, this being who you woman are, body, black body, queer body. Like I'm always on alert of what's there, what's looking, you know, it's kind of like a gazelle. Like, yeah, sure. You may be sipping the water, but you're any slight movement in the grass. You're yeah. turning around. Is that the lion? Right. Yeah. So I have a really sharp sense of that. And I remember initially just being like, why did it fail me now? Yeah, It has saved my life. And been the reason that I've gone from that little poor girl in Missouri to, you know, this top lawyer in New York City. How could it possibly fail me now when I'm two steps away from a million dollar win? And, you know, really kind of beating myself up about it in the beginning, but also realizing that it's had to be hyper vigilant for a long time. And so maybe it kicked in when it didn't need to mm-hmm. and just accepting the truth of that. Right. Like I admit that every, I mean, Oh my God, Alan, every single fiber of my body was saying alert, alert. Yeah. Jake is lying. Alert, alert. He's doing some, he's got his big move itis and he's doing something. He's planning something that he's lying to you about. Mm-hmm. He's going to try to keep you in the dark and it's going to backfire on you. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately I was wrong about what he was lying about, but I wasn't wrong that he was lying and that he was keeping something from me and yeah. that he was trying to make a big move that would backfire on me. Well, and you had suspicions there. And that's, <laughs> you know, as you're saying all of this, it makes me think of, Recently, I did a lot of coverage and spoke with Fantasia for The Color Purple, and her and I talked a lot about, talked to a lot of people, and her and and her and I talked a lot about sort of the impact 
from our own, both of our own personal experiences with abuse and trauma and sort of growing up mm -hmm. and how trauma impacts the decisions you make in small ways in your life that yeah. you don't even yeah. see coming. And in yep. that moment, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm inferring here, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you have an experience of not trusting people and being very yeah. suspicious of people and yeah. trauma can make you make decisions sometimes that it can go in either direction, but, but there's a survival aspect to it, but there's also a, it's a trauma thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. Like I absolutely know that it's my background in my life. That's made my survival instincts so sharp. That's made me be able to say, I'm looking at Jake and I'm getting alarm bells yeah. and I need to listen to it. But I also trust that that instinct, it doesn't just come out randomly. You know what I mean? Like it's going to come out even more intense when it's somebody who's shown me that they can't be trusted. Yep. And Jake did that multiple times over 25 days. It's going to come up even more intensely when it's somebody who's lied to me, who's participated in humiliating me, who's told me plans and strategic moves that they have in mind that I ultimately fundamentally think that doesn't make any sense. I disagree with just how you think. Yeah. So it was like every level was like, this isn't a person I can trust. Yeah. And so I can't get mad at myself for not trusting a person who hadn't given me literally any reason to trust him, except I swear on my Nana. Yeah. And we know in Survivor, that don't mean no. No. like, I'm like, come no. on, I'll swear on mine too. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I hated all my grandparents. I'll exactly. swear on them too. Yeah. Like, I don't even have a Nana. And I would be like, sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, so it was like, and I wanted to, I wanted to believe him so bad. Cause I was yeah. like, if I can believe him, then we can make this, this is it. This is yeah. the ultimate move. So I wanted to, but ultimately I think that self-preservation kicked in. Yeah. So I think it was a little bit of everything. Like, you know, my back is against the wall and that's a lesson for me, right? I eat that lesson. I take responsibility for it. I'm like, okay, so you have to learn that there are going to be moments where you have to say, this is the scariest thing. And I want to jump into self-preservation mode, mm -hmm. but I won't because I don't need it here. And I can recognize the difference, you know? Yeah. Well, and also, and this is my last question for you, but I think you did eat it and it was like a, you know, kind of a, not a crappy moment, but a, a learning moment because it was a moment that turned into a hundred thousand dollar moment from Sia. So, Hey, you got, you got something out of it, which is like, that's the, the universe is working in some way for you. What was that like for you to be Sia's sort of like queen of the season, if you will? Oh my God. That was, I mean, cause I'm already like licking my wounds in the corner, right? Yeah. Like, ideally yeah. you lose in a way that you can be like it's totally that person's fault right yeah. but in my case it's like katura you know this you okay you learned some stuff right yeah. and best believe if i go back i'm gonna be like okay make sure the people with you at the end are people you can actually trust yeah. um but as i'm licking my wounds and being like okay so you know another year without a million dollars what are we gonna do then suddenly i get this news from sia and you know the crazy thing is alan when she called me it was a video call and she was just talking to me about how touched she was from my whole experience. Yeah. And she resonated with my journey. And like that was so validating. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. I don't know the best way to do. You know, you just yeah. you have all these plans 
And then you go out there and you get hit with, oh my God, I got this, this, that, you know, my alliance is turning on me. Mm -hmm. The one person on my tribe who looks like me has issues with me. Like <laughs> it's just a thousand things. Oh shit, this letter, the panic attack. Like I'm like, damn, what is going on? Yeah. So it felt very cool to know that people watched me and had a positive mm -hmm. message. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted to go out there. I wanted to play hard and I wanted to show the, the positive, you know, resilient side of, mm -hmm. of humans. Definitely. Well, Katora, thank you. It was so nice meeting you finally. Hopefully I'll see you in L.A. at some time soon. And yes, I'm yeah, so. thank you so this much for doing awesome. this. And I'm so glad we got it, you know, on the books and everything. Yes. This was you you were a priority for me, Alan. I was oh. like, oh, to make this happen. Well, that's sweet. I do love I do love my CBS family, and I do love my Survivor family, and I love you. So Perfect. this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much Thank for you. doing this. Of course. And we'll see I each other soon. And yes, we'll talk soon. What am I watching this weekend? Well, the Emmys for sure. Even if they are boring, I'm definitely going to watch. And please follow me online at H. Allen Scott on everything because I'll be posting all of the pictures and doing all of the things because that's what I do. You should also watch The Beekeeper because it's insane and weird and cool. And listen to my chat with Josh Hutchinson about it. You should also be watching The Brother's Son with Michelle Yeoh on Netflix. It's such a fun show. And I chatted with her, too. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. And Jake Johnson has a new movie on Hulu called Self-Reliance. It's so funny. It's so wild. I'll be chatting with him next week about that. So watch it and then listen to my chat with him about it because that chat was really funny and wild. Um, I'm also watching Drag Race. Are you watching Drag Race this season? It's the 16th season of RuPaul's Drag Race. And they, they did what they've been doing these past few years where they split the premiere so like half of the cast is in the first episode and the other half is in the second episode. And I always feel bad for the for the drag queens that are in the second episode because everyone wants to be on the first episode the first episode had um Charlize Theron who was the guest judge and it was a great group of drag queens of that group if you're watching of that group of drag queens that I'm obsessed with I think Q I'm really obsessed with Q I'm really obsessed with Safira I'm really kind of not too excited about a mandatory meeting but so it was a good group it was a good group and the very a very strong first episode the second episode, which comes out later tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday, is great. It has the other group of drag queens in the mix. Everyone's talking about Plain Jane and that moment. She's definitely a villain. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but there's a complicated edit coming forward for that situation. So we'll be talking about that more on the Parting Shot podcast in future episodes. What am I obsessed with this week? I'm still thinking of that online drama between Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner when apparently Selena Gomez wanted to take a picture with Timothy and Kylie said no to it. And then lip readers had her telling Taylor Swift at the table at the Golden Globes that Kylie said no to the picture or whatever. And it caused this Internet storm on social media that was so stupid, that was so irrelevant to everything happening in the world, that was so dumb that it gave me every bit of life I needed this week. Also, I have to admit, I posted a picture of Timothy and Kylie um, kissing at the Golden Globes and I immediately transitioned it into Lisa Kudrow's Valerie Cherish saying, I don't need to see that. And I'm hyping myself here. That is one of the proudest posts on Instagram I will ever, ever do. I will also link that in the show notes of this episode. So... Until we meet next time, watch something fun this weekend and have a great day. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.